Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Uh, Angela, ever so much. Uh, morning, everybody. Uh, just a, a, a couple of, uh, of things about our life together as a family. Many of you will already be uh, aware that Joan Norman died uh, early on uh, Thursday morning. Uh, we remember her son, Roger, and uh, we'll gather here in a few weeks' time uh, to celebrate uh, her life Almost a year to the day uh, since uh, uh, we did the same for her husband, Cyril. So we remember, remember Roger and those who particularly uh, mourn Joan's passing. Uh, totally different news. It's great to welcome Anne Newsham back after several months away. She was here last Sunday, but I only saw the back of her sneaking out at the end. Uh, but of course, her this time. So uh, give Anne a round of applause. Get him back into after all this. So, oh. <clears throat> Fantastic. It's, a, it's amazing what you can do down in B&Q these days, isn't it? Uh, the odd bolt here and there uh, keeps us going. Fantastic. Um, this, this verse in, in Thessalonians, just a few days ago, someone said to me, what are you thankful for? Uh, and do you know, honestly, what I'm thankful for is that everywhere you look, across this Burlington family, there are amazing people doing amazing things. Uh, And we're surrounded by an incredible gift uh, in one another. And I love what Paul says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, inspired by hope in Jesus who has come and is coming. Hallelujah. And our teeny weeny little bit of chocolate every day reminds us that Jesus is coming. (laughs) Such a great time of year, isn't it? Uh, Why have a teeny weeny bit, you know, reminds us as we journey, as we journey forward, the strange traditions that we do at this time of year, reminding us that we point to Jesus. Okay, this is the last one in the series of uh, five graces. You'll be pleased to know it's going to be shorter than the others, I think, and you'll be pleased to know that as well, in order that we can pause a little longer at uh, communion. I don't know, Advent communion always seems to me to be uh, that much more poignant. A baby is super safe. We all love a baby. We all get drawn to look into the, uh, the pram or the pushchair of a, of a newborn uh, baby. And we're celebrating births, uh, uh, Pat, a, a grandson and a great-grandchild, uh, and uh, uh, Pat, and, uh, <coughs> Pat and Peter. 
Uh, and the birth of a child does that. It kind of a, awakens something in us that's particularly safe as we move towards a baby. And yet the baby uh, points us also to the cross, which is more difficult and more uncomfortable. And somehow the two of those things coming together in Advent communion uh, holds in tension these huge, enormous truths that the God of heaven welcomes us but yet the way into his presence is the way of uh, the cross. Here we go then, five graces. Three concluding truths as we bring this whole thing uh, to a uh, conclusion. Uh, The first is that we discover the grace in us by seeking Jesus and serving others. We discover the grace in us in us by seeking Jesus and serving others. The obvious question, perhaps, as we've gone through this series, is to ask, well, uh, what grace is most prominent in me, as in you, as in all of us, to ask of ourselves, which grace most uh, reflects our own personalities, our own sense of calling, our own sense of what God has placed within us. And our hope At times, as we've described different graces and talked about them in different ways, both in the church and in the world, if you go back over the the weeks, is that there will have been times when perhaps you've thought to yourself, hey, that's a little bit like me. I think they're describing something that's true of me. Or you might at other occasions thought, well, I'm not like that. And that's okay, because there are other times when you've thought, well, yes, actually, I, I am like that. That is more a description of me. Or there might be, perhaps, and this is easier, other times when a description has been made and you've thought of someone else of whom it's true. And you can uh, think of somebody that, uh, that you know and think, oh, they're describing that person, the grace of Jesus that is within them. And so we have this kind of inner testimony, this kind of voice inside us that says, yeah, I think I'm a bit like that. And then we have the voices of other people that kind of confirm or deny the truths that we think both an inner testimony and an external voice. But perhaps we're rushing ahead. Let's get back to this main truth. We discover the grace in us by seeking Jesus and serving others. We seek Jesus first. It is in seeking and serving him that we discover the grace that is in us. Because primarily, the grace in us is about character before it's about competency. There are skills that we can learn, but above all else, it is the character of Jesus that shapes and defines us. And as Paul says, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, seek, look upon the Lord's glory, and so are being transformed into his image, into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. And so if you want to know more about the grace that is within you, you will discover that not by looking within, but ultimately you will discover that by seeking Jesus, by focusing on Jesus, by honoring Jesus, by praying to Jesus, by worshipping to Jesus, by thinking about Jesus. It's all Jesus. And of course, that's super countercultural. 
And it's the corrective balance to the conversations that we've had about looking at ourselves to discover our grace. When you uh, do a personality test, you are invited to think about yourself in order to discover what's true about you. And those questions are perfectly appropriate and perfectly acceptable. But ultimately, in terms of our kingdom journey, ultimately, in terms of our kingdom purpose, we discover who we are not by looking at ourselves, but by looking at Jesus. So you may have already found all of the tests that there are online uh, for you to, to think about whether you're more an apostle or more a prophet or more an evangelist or more of a teacher or more of a shepherd. And those tests have some value, but ultimately you will discover who you truly are as you make Jesus the central focus of your life. Because ultimately it's about His grace in us. It's about His work in us. It's about His shape in us. So firstly then we seek Jesus. And secondly we we, we discover the grace in us by seeking Jesus and serving others. It's that posture of being servant hearted that helps you discover the grace that is true about you. It's the way of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, not to be served, but to serve. All of these graces have in common the posture of servanthood, of servant-heartedness. All of the graces are about what we give away to others. We serve one another. Another. We only discover the grace of Jesus in our lives as we focus on Him and seek to serve those around us. Uh, Christy Wimber uh, wrote this on Twitter just yesterday. One of the greatest riches of our day is finding leaders who will serve in secret. The faithful who show up not for fame popularity or platforms, but just because they love Jesus. We must make this the most attractive goal of the leader, or we might add the disciple. If we are hungry to discover our shape, if we are hungry to find out where we fit in this great tapestry of what God is doing in and through all our lives, then we must seek Jesus first and live out of a posture of servant-heartedness. Serve in as many different ways as you possibly can. Whatever you do, serve. And then serve some more. And as we operate from this position of focusing on Jesus and serving others, then what God's doing in our lives becomes clearer as we journey forward. That was certainly true of the uh, Apostle Paul, and I'll use him as an example for a moment, that as he focused on Jesus and began to serve others, so the sense of calling on his life crystallized and became clearer. Firstly, he, he, he listened to that inner 
voice, to that inner testimony. And we noted, didn't we, some weeks ago that when Paul talks about these five graces, he talks about it from a perspective of a sense of calling, a sense of inner reality of what God is doing. As you seek Jesus and as you serve other people, that inner sense of calling will grow in our lives. It's what we might call active waiting. You see, waiting is a very passive thing in our culture. Uh, We we try and distract ourselves by doing something on our phones or whatever it might be. But if you're waiting, you're just waiting. But the Bible is never just waiting. Our our waiting on the Lord is is a very active, participatory experience where where we actively seek Jesus and we actively get involved in being Jesus to those around us. And so as we do, it's like those scales fall from our eyes and we see a level of clarity about God's calling on our lives that we haven't seen before. Seek and serve. And the nudges of the Spirit, that sense of when I run I feel God's pleasure, uh, Eric Liddell, uh, or that sense of, uh, of, of purposefulness comes alive in our experience. So after a while, Paul would say, well, well what's become clear for me is, is that I, I have to preach. I can't help myself but preach. And we'll know from other verses that we've used, he says, I have to preach the gospel where the gospel hasn't been preached before. I, I do not want to go where someone else has been. I, I want to push out into new territory, into new ground, and, and so on. And so a clarity rose within him as he listened to the testimony of God's Spirit within him, all out of this posture of uh, seeking and serving. But we also need to listen to the testimony of others. And sometimes Paul will say, as I've gone about my ministry, so I've heard what other people have said about me, and that has confirmed the ministry and calling that God has for me. On the contrary, people recognize, they recognize that I've been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. It's so important for us not just to listen to the testimony within, But as we seek Jesus and serve one another, to listen to the testimony of others. We need to help call out God's grace in one another. And one of the things that I hope is that these last few weeks will have given us some language to use to call out the grace that we see in other people. I love the evangelistic heart you showed when. I love the teacher in you that I saw when. I I love the fact that you hear God speaking in the way that you do. We need to call out the graces that we see in one another. And it's super affirming when people do that to us and for us. Although we have to be careful not to dismiss it readily. You know when someone says, I love that, and you go, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. It wasn't me, it was the Lord. And I kind of understand the sentiment of it, but, but there's a danger in that moment that we don't fully know. Clearly it was you. I don't think it was the Lord. Because if Jesus was actually standing here, there'd probably be a few more people in church this morning. 
So it clearly was you. And we need to own what the Lord is doing in us and through us. And when people testify to the grace that's in our lives, we need to be humble enough, yet secure enough to receive it. You with me? And sometimes our insecurity causes us just to bat it away. It was nothing. It was just the, it was, it was just the Lord, as if we had uh, nothing uh, to do with it. And perhaps that's the other side of this same calling. We need to call out God's grace in each other. And we need to celebrate God's grace in each other. Especially when their grace is different to ours. You see, often when we see the grace that is different to ours in someone else, we can be a little threatened by it or a little narked by it. You're in your community group, for example, and the evangelist says, I'm bringing Bob next week. I'm so excited because I've been talking to Bob and Bob's really interested and I invited him along and Bob said he's coming. We should all celebrate that moment. But the teacher, Grace, which is quite high in me, might be tempted to say, oh, I don't want Bob to come next week because that means we'll have to keep it simple. I was hoping we might do the first five sacrifices in Leviticus last, next week. And the shepherd says, I'm not sure I want Bob to come because we're such a nice, lovely group and we all get on so well and, and, and we just won't share if someone new is there. And can you see, instead of seeing the graces as something that brings us together, it's so easy for them to be something that bring, pushes us apart. So we need to call out the grace in one another. We need to go, I'm absolutely super thrilled that your evangelistic heart means that Bob is coming next week. I hold my hand up and say, that, that challenges my grace, but together we're going to make this thing happen and we're going to move forward as the whole body of uh, Christ. So we listen for the testimony uh, from within and we listen for the testimony of others. And just like Paul, we look for the, we look for the fruit we look for the fruit. And don't overlook for the fruit. Sometimes you can't see the fruit because it's familiar to you. So for example, if you're an evangelist, you will have shared Jesus with five people before you get to work. That makes some of us feel a little inadequate. But you don't think anything of it because it's just what you do. Celebrate that that's just what you with me. So we need to help people see that what they do is, that's what they do. That's a fantastic thing. And the danger is, of course, because it makes us feel a little insecure, because that's not our thing. We, we fail to celebrate it in, in them. We need to call it out to them and help them see that what's absolutely normal for them is the fruit of the kingdom. When some of you prophets say, do you know, I don't find it hard to hear God speak. The rest of us go, ah, I do. But we need to celebrate that fruit and we need you as prophets to be able to celebrate that that's your fruit even though it comes naturally and normally to you and because it becomes natural and normal you don't think anything more of it. So the things that we naturally do that produce fruit for the kingdom we can miss that fruit because it's all normal for us. Are you with me? So we need to highlight to one another 
the things that aren't normal, and we need to rescue ourselves from gift projection just because I find this sort of thing easy. You won't because you've got a different grace to me and vice versa, and therefore we need each other. So we discover the grace in us by seeking Jesus and serving others, and in that we listen for the testimony within, the testimony without, and we look for the fruit. I said this was going to be um, shorter, so I'm going to have to talk a lot quicker now. Although it won't be the first time I've just said something about time that's totally meaningless. It's just what we say when we don't know what to say. Secondly, we discover the grace in us by seeking Jesus and serving others. That's the first thing. Secondly, we distribute the grace by putting Jesus first. Not our personalities or our preferences or even, or even we distribute the grace By putting Jesus first, not even putting our primary grace first. Let's be really clear about what we we mean. The counterbalance to everything that we've been saying in this series is that in any situation, in any season, our responsibility is to represent Jesus in his fullness. I love what Paul says to young Timothy who probably wasn't an evangelist as his first primary grace. When Paul writes to me, he says, you know, Timothy, what you need to do in this season is to do the work of an evangelist. So we can't say, well, you know, I'm a shepherd, so because I'm not an evangelist, I can't talk with my non-Christian friends about Jesus. I'm an evangelist, so because I'm not a teacher, I don't have to bother helping people understand biblical truth. Or I'm a teacher, so because I'm not an apostle, I don't have to push forward in the mission of God. Or I'm an apostle, so because I'm not a prophet, I don't have to cultivate the ability to hear God speak in the stillness. Or I'm a prophet, so because I'm not a shepherd, then I don't have to journey with people in their needs and so on. Do you see what I mean? We need to be Jesus in the fullness of who Jesus is in whatever season he is calling us and placing us. We all have a responsibility to develop the fullness of the grace in our lives. So the question is, not what is my personality, or my preference, or my primary grace. The question is always, what would Jesus do if he were me right now? Which means we need to develop a sense of growing in all of the graces. We don't want to really be off the charts with one grace, and totally hopeless with all the others. Because that's why we focus on Jesus, because he brings the fullness of that into our lives and into our experience. I remember the Caring Well course that we did here a few years ago that came out of CWR that was super helpful in our pastoral care. And what that course was doing was to, was to help us see that the shepherding gift embraces the other gifts in order for the shepherding gift to be most fruitful. So, for example, someone has a need, the shepherd's heart is super good at being empathetic. The reason some of you know that you're not shepherds is that you're not empathetic. Others of you know that you're shepherds because you feel it, you with me, in your heart, if not in your gut. And you feel people's heartache and pain. And being empathetic becomes super easy for you. You are high on the shepherding grace. But what people actually need in their given situation, whatever that situation is, they absolutely need your empathy. That's where it all starts. They need your empathy 
and your sense of being alongside them. That's what Jesus first did. He came and was with us. That's the first thing he did. But that's not all Jesus did. And if we help people in their Christian journey, it's not all we need to do now. We don't just need to be empathetic with people. We need to help them journey forward. So, for example, what people actually need, maybe, in addition to empathy, is encouragement to hear God speak into their situation, because that changes everything when God speaks. So they need the prophetic voice in with the shepherd's heart. Or they need encouragement to step forward in a given situation, even though they're finding it difficult. That's the apostolic voice. Or, for example, they need to grasp some biblical truth in their situation, which will help them discover a new perspective to move forward. And that's the teacher voice. And so on. And it's the same whatever example that we use. If the evangelist doesn't capture the shepherd's heart, the evangelist will just use people. I'm just a friend because I want you to come to faith. And if you're not coming to faith, I'll flick you away because you're no longer of any use to me. Because all I can see is my evangelistic heart. But if you bring the shepherd's heart into the evangelistic grace, then you get, I'm going to be your friend whether you uh, uh, love Jesus or not. But I'm going to stick with you as a friend. Because that's what the shepherd does. You with me? So we, 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 we grow in us the, the whole uh, sense of the grace given to us. We distribute the grace in us by putting Jesus first. So what's your strength has maybe been the dominant beat of this series. But in this moment, what's your weakest grace? What's the one where you go, oh gosh, I don't... I don't I don't really perhaps even get that one, let alone know where to start in functioning in it. How would you feel about God leading you in a season or a situation where you are, quote-unquote, forced, oblique, encouraged, to see that grace, that aspect of Jesus stretched and grown within you? How would you feel about needing to step into that, to stretch that grace? Thirdly, finally, we develop the grace by, in us by passing, it, by passing it on. By passing it on. One of the uh, great rediscoveries of what God's doing around the world is that discipleship is not about me growing as a Christian, Discipleship is about me growing as a Christian and passing it on. And uh, I think for a, for a long time, our emphasis in our communities, in our churches, in our Western Christianity has been so individualistic. It's about me growing as a disciple of Jesus, as if I can do that in isolation from other people. Or I might know that I need other people, but I need them in order to feed into me. And me feeding others hasn't become anything like spoken uh, as much uh, as, as people, sorry, people feeding into me uh, has been overemphasized, I think, at the expense of the discipleship journey uh, we speaking into others. We develop the grace in us by passing it on. This principle of passing it on goes right through the scriptures. You see it here in uh, Deuteronomy. 
with the commands and the decrees and the laws of the Lord your God that you're taught and you observe, what do you do? You, you pass them on so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. It was the way Jesus modeled discipleship of passing it on, the 12 to the 72, uh, passing it on. It's the way that uh, Paul speaks about it uh, in the verses that uh, Angela read for us earlier on. You became imitators of us. We pass something on to you. So it was in us, and then it was passed on to you, and then it was passed on to the believers in Macedonia, and then it was passed on to people everywhere. That four generations of passing things on goes right the way through uh, the scriptures, and we see it again when Paul chats to to Timothy uh, about uh, it being passed on in the presence of many witnesses entrusted to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So the grace that is in you whether it be the evangelist, the prophet, the shepherd, the teacher, the apostle, is in you that you might also pass it on. And that's where it gets really exciting. Because suddenly there's not just one glorious shepherd, we get two glorious shepherds or three glorious shepherds. Instead of there just being one evangelist, we get two evangelists or three evangelists or four. Instead of us getting one teacher, we get three, four, six, eight, ten teachers and so on and so forth, right across all five of the graces. So the question, as we bring this whole thing into land, is are we helping others grow in the grace that we ourselves have grown in? If you're a great shepherd, who are you helping to become more shepherd-like? If you're a great prophet, who are you helping to become more prophet-like, to become more comfortable with hearing God speak? If you're a great evangelist, who are you helping to learn to share their faith more easily as well? And sometimes, if we're honest, we don't know where to start. And so, very simply, and this is the the last slide, very simply this. We help people develop what's already in us by letting them watch us, letting them help us, and giving them opportunity to do something that we once did. Uh, And that's all Jesus did with the 12 disciples. And then he released them into the world. We allow people to watch us. We allow people to help us. We allow people then to do what we once did. And one of the things that I've noticed about uh, churches that are uh, 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 grasping a new vision of discipleship is that there is this momentum that hasn't been true in our churches generally, this momentum of always bringing others along, quickly passing something that you have learned onto somebody else. So very often uh, there would be someone watching or helping and then the next time you turned up, they would be doing it. And then when they're doing it, there'll be someone else watching and helping and so on and so forth. This, this dynamic of letting people watch, letting people help, letting people uh, do, and that works with whatever it is, whether it's sharing a sermon, whether it's washing up, whether it's cleaning a floor, whether it's leading a Bible study, whether it's speaking to friends about Jesus, we all learn by watching, helping, and then uh, doing. And Jesus told this very poignant parable, didn't he, about the talents, about the gifts and you, uh, the, 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 the one who had some gifts, they put it to work and he multiplied. They got more gifts. Remember that one? And then the next guy, he multiplied. He's got more. One. And then the last person, what did he do with his gift? 
He buried it. He didn't squander it or waste it. He kept it safe. And in order to keep a gift safe, you've got to use it. So it's not, it's not that he didn't use it. He kept it safe. Why did he keep it safe? What does it say? Because he was afraid. Because he was afraid. I think fear is one of the biggest barriers for us not passing on our graces. You see, what if someone watches me and then they start to do it better than me? What if they then do it and what would I do then if they're doing what I did? We, of course, have to go on the the same discipleship journey ourselves into a new season of our own lives. And so I think very often fear causes us to do what Jesus was talking about. We'll just keep our talent safe. And at the end of it all, we say, Jesus, look, it's here, it's safe. Look look how I've kept it safe. I've kept it, it's just in pristine condition for you. But what Jesus was looking for, what the Father is looking for, is for that grace, for that talent, for that gift to be multiplied into other people. And then there was great celebration. So, as Paul puts it, so may this be true. As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope. It, let's, let's do verse 4 again. It, it just, it, I, I, humor me by just going, mm, like a murmuring, like you're moderately in agreement with it. Yeah, there's, there's, there's one body. And one spirit. Yes. Why? Because there's one hope to which you were called. It's amazing. Because there's one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. But to each one of us, that's you and me, grace has been given to us as Christ apportioned it. Yes. Do you know what that means? It means I'm on the team. It means I'm in. It means I belong. It means I'm on the board. It means I'm part of the body. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. All sorts of Advent themes there. So Christ himself gave the apostles. Big cheer for the apostles. (laughs) Prophets? (laughs) The pastors. Oh, you find that one easier. The evangelists. The teachers, all of us to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up 
until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll be no longer infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love. If you need to say that to someone, you're probably not doing it. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow up. You know when someone says, I'm going to tell you this in love, and you brace yourself. That was a little aside. You seem to miss it. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Shall we do that? Should we have a good shot at that? Let's give ourselves to that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.